Welcome to Cases and Controversies, a Supreme Court podcast by Bloomberg Law. I'm Kimberly Robinson. And I'm Jordan Rubin. This is your sneak peek of arguments for the week of January 18th. And you know, Jordan, it's going to be another swift sneak peek. That's right. Because the court is going to best its uh, only three arguments from last week and just here two this week. Yeah, that's right. It seems like they've been busier outside of the arguments than actually what's been going on during them, which we'll talk about. And we will, we will. Uh, Of course, to be fair to the justices, the court will not hear arguments on Monday, which is Martin Luther King Jr. Day, or Wednesday, when Joe Biden will be inaugurated the 46th president of the United States. Probably. There's still time. It could (laughs) could be 47th if there's a Ford Nixon type of thing. So We'll see. We'll see. Yeah, it seems like all of Washington is seemingly shutting down in anticipation of Inauguration Day. So I've been in D.C. for a few inaugurations now, and I've never seen it like this. Um, I saw a map of all the streets that were closed down in D.C. the other day, and it was like, can't go here. Uh, So the Supreme Court, too, will be closed on Wednesday. But before that, uh, on the solo day of arguments, uh, can you tell us what's first up, Jordan? I'll give it a shot. So we have FCC against Prometheus Radio Project and National Association of Broadcasters against Prometheus Radio Project. These are two consolidated cases that involve a long-running fight over media ownership. And so the FCC wants to ease limits on ownership of local media outlets, but the Third Circuit blocked the changes over concerns about the impact on female and minority media ownership. Under the Telecommunications Act, the FCC has to review its ownership rules every four years to determine whether any of those rules are necessary in the public interest as a result of competition, and the agency is required to repeal or modify any regulation it determines to no longer be in the public interest. So this case involves how the commission has to analyze effects of its rule changes on media ownership by racial minorities and women when it engages in those public interest reviews. The rule changes here were adopted by a three to two vote with FCC Democratic commissioners dissenting, relaxing these rules could lead to increased media consolidation. So there is a political element to these cases, of course, and we see that in the Trump administration and the broadcast industry wanting the Supreme Court to reverse the Third Circuit. So, of course, the Biden administration will now flip control of the FCC to Democrats. So no matter what happens at the court, that could make consolidation efforts more difficult in any event. But first, we'll have to see what the court says. And then second up is BP versus Mayor and City Council of Baltimore. This is a big environmental case against big oil. Companies like BP and Chevron seeking damages for their contribution to climate change. Uh, Think here, things like extreme flooding. The question for the Supreme Court, though, is a procedural one at this point. These cases are part of a larger nationwide effort to sue oil companies for their part in climate change. And in those suits, the oil companies are trying to remove these cases to federal court, which as is seen as more favorable to them than state courts. So here, uh, a federal court ordered the case back to state court. And the question for the justices is really a technical one focusing on what federal courts can review on appeal of such an order sending the case back to state courts. So um, if I were a betting person, I say this isn't the last time this case is going to come to the court. 
Yeah, it seems to be kind of a theme to the day. This FCC case has apparently been going on for decades, back and forth to the Third Circuit. So the justices are going to hear a whole two cases. Good for them. So speaking of repeat business at the court, uh, this week may have been uh, quiet on the argument front, but there was a whole bunch going on on the court's execution docket. Jordan, do you want to catch us up? That's true. So as we've talked about before on the podcast, this past summer, the Trump administration resumed federal executions after a 17-year break. And so at the time of this recording, they've so far executed 12 people since July, including several during the lame duck period, which is something that hasn't happened since the late 19th century. And of course, this is all happening against the backdrop of Biden saying that he's against the death penalty. So the Trump administration is attempting to carry these executions out before a new president comes in who has said he's not going to carry out executions. And these have all been going forward really with the Supreme Court allowing them to, often along party lines with the Republican-appointed majority either rejecting inmate stays or overturning stays that were put in place by the lower court. And we saw that same pattern continue this week, where the Trump administration has three scheduled for this week of Lisa Montgomery, Corey Johnson, and Dustin Higgs. Uh, First, there was Lisa Montgomery's case, where the appeals started on Tuesday, heading into the evening. She had a stay in place that was rejected. And we saw this pattern emerging of the remaining Democratic-appointed justices, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan, dissenting from the order against her. And she was executed early on Wednesday morning. It was the first time the federal government executed a woman since 1953. And then last night, we're we're recording this on Friday morning. So on Thursday night, the government executed Corey Johnson, uh, despite his claim of intellectual disability and his recent diagnosis of COVID. COVID-19, which under the Eighth Amendment, they had already been raising a claim about how the government's lethal injection process would be cruel and unusual. That's been a long-running thing that's been going on, but the COVID aspect adds another element to it because they say essentially whatever was going to make the execution unduly painful under the Eighth Amendment, the lung damage from COVID adds another element to it. That would have been interesting if getting COVID actually saved those people from being executed. Yeah, no, so that was something that was potentially in the mix there, but it was not to be for them. Uh, Again, both Johnson and Higgs, who's the one remaining person left who's scheduled for execution tonight on Friday, they both got COVID and had a joint claim together in the D.C. court, and the judge at the trial level initially granted them a stay, and then again, just This kind of all helps to show the Trump impact on the courts because that stay was initially overturned by a two to one Trump appointed panel on the D.C. circuit with Katzis and Walker and then a Democratic appointed judge in dissent. And then again, at the Supreme Court, there was that same pattern of dissent and the majority being along those party lines. So again, this is kind of a Trump phenomenon in terms of these executions coming back. So Jordan, uh, you mentioned that, uh, you know, there's uh, the Trump effect and the Biden effect. One interesting uh, question for the 
incoming Biden administration is what to do about the Boston Marathon bomber case, right? And that is in front of the justices as well. Right. So Biden said he's against the death penalty. The question in practice is going to be what that means exactly, which he hasn't specified yet. People are calling on him to commute death row and to support legislation to end the death penalty, which has actually been introduced or said it was going to be introduced by Democrats this week. So that's something to look out for. And an early test of Biden's resolve on this question is going to be in a tough case, the Boston Marathon bomber case. Uh, This past summer, the First Circuit vacated his death sentences. And so the DOJ under Trump is trying to reinstate those death sentences on appeal. I should point out that he was prosecuted during the Obama administration when Biden was vice president and Biden himself was the leading tough on crime senator. So, uh, you know, Biden's actions, no one can take all of the credit or blame, however you want to put it, for the status quo. But he certainly had a hand in laying the groundwork for what Trump was able to accomplish here. And so whatever the reason, he's evolved his position now or said he has. And so we're going to see what that actually means. So Trump administration DOJ is trying to reinstate those death sentences. They have a petition pending. It's been pending for a couple weeks now. The justices are in conference today considering it for the second time. So it's possible they could act before Biden takes over. I'm somewhat speculating that they're waiting to see if he's going to come in and maybe have a different position. But whatever the justices do, he'll still be confronted with the question of what to do with the case. And then we finally got an order in the case about COVID accommodations for medical abortion. So here, a lower court ordered that the FDA lift its requirement that women pick up one of the two drugs in person, even during the pandemic. The Supreme Court reversed that ruling in a 6-3 order. Now, Chief Justice Roberts wrote to explain his vote in the case, saying that governments deserve substantial deference on how to deal with the COVID crisis and that the political branches, not the courts, should be making these decisions. Now, the Democratic appointees dissented. Justice Sonia Sotomayor noted that the FDA lifted similar requirements for other medications, but refused to do so for medical abortion. And she wrote, quote, government policy now permits patients to receive prescriptions for powerful opioids without leaving home, yet still requires women to travel to a doctor's office to pick up these drugs. So um, one interesting thing uh, that I noted was that the dissent really invokes this disparate treatment of, you know, different drugs during the COVID crisis. And that was similar to concerns we saw some of the justices raise in the context of restrictions on houses of worship. Uh, I guess the difference here is that uh, those concerns won the day in the religious context, but um, not so in the abortion one. Yeah, remember that? It seems like the order in that case kind of came out of nowhere because it had been pending for a while, right? Well, the justices had sent the case back uh, to the lower court saying basically, um, you know, we don't want to decide this. This was before the election. Um, And I'm paraphrasing here, uh, saying we don't want to decide this. Uh, Could you give us more information so that we could delay um, a ruling on this? And then uh, so it was a matter of timing, I think, for them and the district court acting. Well, that'll do it for this episode. Thanks for listening and be sure to join us next week when we do a deep dive looking back on this January sitting. Until then, you can follow along with all the latest Supreme Court news at news.bloomberglaw.com. This is Adam Allington, and I'm here to announce a new season of Uncommon Law, a narrative podcast series from Bloomberg Law. Black Lives Matter! Black Lives Matter! 
My co-hosts and I will speak with African-American attorneys and hear their perspectives on how big law is, or in some cases, isn't adapting to become more diverse and inclusive. It's not fair, but what can be better than being on the front lines of helping to make this country better for all of us? If not us, who? If not now, when? Just search for Uncommon Law wherever you get your podcasts.